Last week, we kicked off our series entitled Allegiance. We're learning to serve the Prince of Peace while living in this culture that is at war. This whole season, this whole, you know, the past weeks and months and really the past couple of years, just talk, it's an it's a anxious time for a lot of people. And in fact, of course, we got two sort of scary things coming up here in, in just the next week or so. Uh, we've got Election Day right, which is happening about a week from Tuesday. So that's coming up. That's scary. And can anybody tell me what's, what's kind of scary about tomorrow night? It's game three of the World Series. That makes us all a little bit nervous. That's right. Uh, so, you know, we're praying for our Strohs. No, I know. It's also Halloween, a creepy time for some folks. Really, for me, there's only two things that I, Pastor Scott, gets scared of. There's only two things that creeps out Pastor Scott, okay? One of them is clowns, uh, which should just be disturbing to everybody as far as I'm concerned. There's something, you know, what's going on behind that painted smile on there. I'm not trying to plant fear in you. If you're not afraid of clowns, some of you are like, clowns are great. I like them at my birthday party. That's fine. I'll mail you your birthday present. Um, that's fine. And the other thing that I, I just don't go in for are, are dolls, especially little baby dolls, little ceramic baby dolls. No, thank you. There's just something wrong with that. And uh, I, I have this uh, neighbor near, nearby who, for Halloween, uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago, uh, put up, it's like they, they crawled up into my brain to see what would disturb me the most. And, and yeah, so this is what is in their front yard. I could like zoom in on this stuff and it would really just bother some of you, give you bad dreams, but I won't do that. Um, so yeah, it's just not fun at all. And uh, so I'm pretty much just prepared not to sleep until November 1st um, while this is going until they, until they take it down. Um, in, in fact, just to sort of like cleanse this image out of your head, this is what I want to show you here. This is our dog. This is Guster Hale. He's the best dog in the world. He's very sweet. This is what he does when you talk to him because he cocks his head. He thinks maybe it'll help him understand what you're saying better. And so uh, just, yeah, just let that wash your soul clean. If dolls are evil, he is pure good. Uh, we, we love Gus around the, the Hill House. It's funny, like Adeline, she's not even bothered by, by the doll house nearby. Like we're, I walk her to school and she's like, Daddy, can we, like, can we walk by the dolls? I'm like, what's wrong with you? Okay, you know, she's, she's, she's like, Daddy, we don't have to be afraid because, you know, Jesus is on our side. And I'm like, that's true. That's true. I still don't want to walk over there, though. Um, but it's true. Some, some, some people get creeped out by Halloween. Some kids don't like that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of grown-ups, though, today are, are freaked out even more by current events, right? That's mostly what's you know, all the questions, all the unknowns. What's the economy going to do? You know, who's, who's going to win the election? Who's, who's coming for our rights? You know, who's coming for my guns? Who's going to do this? Who's coming for our kids? Uh, you know, who's, they're going to come try to control my body. They're, how, who's going to save the environment? Who, you know, or something like that. Or what about the Russians and the Chinese and the border and all this? And then some of us are dealing, uh, many of you I know are dealing with very more immediate concerns, personal concerns like a health crisis or you need a job or things like that. There's a lot of fear. And it seems like right now it feels like f uh, the fuel that powers the world is fear. And that is just true. The, the fear is the fuel that seems to power the world right now. And we as Christians, the Bible tells us that the world's going to have trouble. And so that shouldn't be any big surprise to us. But fear of everything going on is not of God. 
So the world's going to have trouble, but fear of it is not of God. And, and so what, we're gonna actually, what we see is that our fear actually betrays misplaced allegiance. Our, betray, our, our fear betrays or, or it reveals a misplaced allegiance somewhere as if we're suffering from that. By the way, you know, we entitled our series Allegiance. Did you know allegiance is a Bible word? It's in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. In the original language, Greek and Hebrew, it's all through the Bible, allegiance. And the way it's usually translated is faith or faithfulness. It's the same word. And so allegiance to our ears has this kind of a political ring to our modern ears, but it is a kingdom concept. Allegiance is a kingdom concept. Scripture says where your allegiance lies simply means what you've put your faith in. Where your allegiance is is what you put your faith in. So today we're going to talk about choosing faith over fear today. And I want us to leave here encouraged by God's Word on this. I really sense the Holy Spirit uh, wants uh, to take another look at the only person who can help us to deal with our fears because He's the only one worthy of our faith. He's the, and it's not, it's not anyone in the Oval Office. The only person who can help us deal with our fears because He's the only one worthy of our faith, that person is... Jesus, I'm so glad you got that answer right. Wait, way to go. Way to go. It's because the kids are in here. They know the right answer. The answer is always Jesus, right? Uh, amen. Jesus, he's the one who's greater. He's greater than, than any threat, foreign or domestic. Jesus is greater than any piece of legislation. He's greater than any court decision. He's greater than our health issues. He's greater than uh, economic struggles that we may have, than our relationship troubles. He's greater than anything the devil can throw at us. He's more powerful than all these things. So today, we're going to turn in our Bibles, if you have your Bibles, over to the Gospel of Mark to encourage your faith this morning. We're going to encourage your faith this morning. We're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you five things that Jesus is king of, okay? Five things that Jesus is king of. And so, now, remember Mark's Gospel, when he wrote this, it was written at a time when our forebears, uh, they understood firsthand what fear really is, what threats really were. They, they had suffered under the unholy leadership of the emperor Nero, who was very likely insane. He wanted to destroy Christians just and, and just in the worst ways possible. I won't go into it all because this is an all-generation Sunday, but just he was just this horrible guy. Um, but, so, but I want us to understand that our spiritual ancestors, you and I, our spiritual ancestors, uh, they came, they, they, we, the people we come from are people who lived with an existential threat of being legally thrown into prison or legally executed for their faith, right? So I, we, we tend to forget that. We tend to get up, you know, we get upset, and I get upset when someone, uh, you know, tries to infringe upon our rights unconstitutionally. <laughs> when someone infringes on our rights unconstitutionally. And to the early church, the biggest threat was when they obeyed the law, you know, when they came against them by the Constitution, when, when, when they acted against the church according to the law. So Mark writes his gospel to remind our brothers and sisters that they were not alone. He writes to encourage them to hold on because there's someone more powerful than Caesar that holds them in their hands. Amen? So we're going to be in Mark. We're in chapter 4. Let's read this. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him all along. Uh, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also some other boats with him. And verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping in a, on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I find it interesting here, by the way, that the disciples are terrified after he performs the miracle. Isn't that interesting? We're going to come back to that. But I love how calm and collected Jesus is. He's just so cool. The disciples are like, ah, what's happening? Wake up, Jesus. And he's just cool. He's like, wind, water. Y'all, be still. Keep it down. <laughs> Melissa and I have three kids. Um, and in years past, as they were growing up, we've gone on a couple of road trips. Those are fun. They can be fun. Um, but occasionally, invariably, two of the three start arguing and bickering and different twos of them start bickering and arguing, and I turn around, you know, be quiet back there, be still, right, with like the authority of Jesus, and uh, it doesn't have any effect at all. <laughs> it doesn't do anything, right, they just keep at it, and you know what we do next, parents. I'm going to turn, I'm going to pull this car over, we're going to go home, and of course we don't do that, but that's what we say, but now, so Jesus has this kind of authority, and he speaks to the wind and the waves, and it, and it be still. Now, a lot of people, myself included, we look at this story, we tend to think the point of this story is when you're in a storm, what you need to do is just run, go wake up Jesus, and he'll save the day in the nick of time. But consider this. Afterwards, Jesus didn't say, well done, guys. Way to go. You guys did the right thing and waking me up before we all drowned. Good thing your fear kicked in. No, Jesus acts as if they were never in danger. I mean, think about it. Do we really think that Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that his life hung in the balance, and it was thanks to their quick thinking <laughs> that the Lamb of God didn't accidentally drown in his sleep right there in, on the lake? Of course not, right? The disciples, it turns out, needn't have ever had any fear. Quite simply because Jesus was with them the whole time. It's almost as if because Jesus is with them, the storm is the safest place to be because Jesus is there. And we can have this kind of confidence, guys, when we're walking with Jesus at our side. Not because he promises to, you know, wake up whenever we need him, but because Jesus has already demonstrated he is master over creation. Jesus has already demonstrated he's the one who created all of nature, and he's more powerful than the forces of nature. And not only that, but he loves us. So isn't that good? Now, often our cry to the Lord is the same as these disciples. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? We think if we, if we can just muster up enough urgency in our prayers, if we get louder, you know, like those prophets of Baal did, maybe if we get louder and really scream, God will hear us, he'll wake up. And we think, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm hurting? Don't you care that my family is struggling? Don't you care about these issues? 
going on in my life and in the world? Don't you care that it looks so overwhelming? And Jesus, he would just say back to us, he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have so little faith? Don't you know it is I who is with you in the boat? I'm in the boat with you. Amen? Well, after Jesus calms the storm, they make it on across the Sea of Galilee, and, a, and they have another encounter that's in, it, recorded in chapter 5. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, there was a man with an impure spirit. In other words, he was demon-possessed. He came out of the, from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? Now he's talking to the demon here. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. In verse 11, it goes on to say, A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out, and it went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Mass porcicide happens right here. This is a sweet little bedtime story you can tell your kids tomorrow night, right? Uh, but this is just one of the examples here, too, that we, need, we see in Scripture of the power that Jesus has. Not only over the natural forces, like in the first story, but here he shows his power over the supernatural. And Jesus casts these demons out of this, this poor, crazy cemetery man. And he does it all without seemingly breaking a sweat. But here's another story, not just to turn into a metaphor, because we have to remember that your spiritual enemy is real. You have a real spiritual enemy. Uh, you know, spiritual oppression is real. And a lot of folks today, it's kind of, you know, we kind of get to where we, a lot of folks consider themselves too sophisticated to believe in the devil. And, and that's what the devil is counting on. Because Jesus told us, think about it, he told us not to wrestle against flesh and blood. Well, who else is there to wrestle against if not, if not flesh and blood? He says we wrestle against spiritual powers. The problem is if you don't believe in spiritual powers, or you don't believe in spiritual warfare, well, the only thing you have left to battle is flesh and blood, which is the problem with a lot of folks. What Jesus shows us is that not only is evil real, but it's also something we don't need to live in fear of, right? Kids, you don't have to live in fear of any kind of evil spirits like that because Jesus is master. He's master over the demonic. He's master over anything the devil would try to torment you with, any bad thoughts. Over, over the years, we've had just the privilege to, to pray with people who were oppressed and overwhelmed by evil, and they felt powerless to stop the devil from just tormenting them. But you know what? One word from Jesus was all it took. One word, because Jesus is the name that can break every chain and bust open every prison door. Amen? Let the sunlight into the darkest places. Jesus does that. Now, what's interesting in this story is what happens again. Right after this man was healed, the townspeople heard about it, 
In verse 15 it says, When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were so excited and they thanked Jesus. No, they were afraid. And they began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. The village cemetery man here is now free. He's at peace. And it made people afraid, just like the disciples on the boat. They're terrified after he performs this miracle. We see in all these stories, we see fear and faith just juxtaposed right next to each other uh, in these. Uh, Folks, we are surrounded by people. We're surrounded by people in this country who are fearful. and They're terrified of the unknown, of the what's going to happen. Everything from, you know, fake conspiracy theories that you, everything's flying around to, to real terrorists, to, to viruses, to the economy. Folks are freaking out. And the church is what we keep saying. The church is the one group of people who ought to reflect the peace that comes from an allegiance to the Prince of Peace, right? We have our allegiance in the King of Kings. And so we should reflect that. We should. We don't need to feed into the culture of fear because we are people of faith. And those are incompatible. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? Greater is he that's inside us than the devil that's wandering the world, right? Amen. So, so Jesus, we see, is king over the forces of nature, so we don't have to fear them. Jesus is more powerful than the devil and his minions, so we don't need to fear them. And there's more. Let's keep reading. After this, Jesus and the disciples, they get back in the boat. They travel back to the other side. And when they land on the shore again, it says they encounter a man named Jairus. Jairus. And he is a Jewish leader in the synagogue, so he's a very important dude. And, and uh, let's see, verse 22. And it says, and when he saw Jesus... Jairus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I I can't even hardly just imagine his desperation of his his little girl dying. But then Mark does something. He tells us a little story within a story, as Mark likes to do. And they're making their way to Jairus' house where his daughter's dying. And there's a woman in the crowd, it says, uh, who had been bleeding for like 12 years. She was suffering. She had spent all her money on doctors who couldn't cure her. She's considered unclean by her culture. But she has this idea, if I could just touch Jesus' clothing, I'll be cured. And, uh, and I could just imagine this woman, she's probably kind of dressed herself incognito uh, to make her way to Jesus. And, and just because just walking through the crowd and like, you know, it's illegal for her to be, you know, bumping up against folks because of the customs of their culture. And so she's, she's no doubt, she's feeling hope. She's got this faith, if I could just make it to Jesus. But she's also, it's also mixed with this anxiety, this fear of getting caught. Amen. It's, it's got to just be such a struggle inside her. We don't know her name, but we can, we can relate to her pain, can't we? I mean, every, every one of us know the, the pain, the anguish of either hurting ourselves or someone we love hurting and needing this, needing this healing. But the woman, she makes it. She makes it to Jesus. She gets there, and as the old King James says, she touches the hem of his garment, and she's immediately made well. And Jesus can even sense it. He's like, what happened? You know, he's looking around. He can't even see who it was who touched him. And then in verse 33, it says, The woman, then knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Here's faith and fear right next to each other. And told him the whole truth. 
And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love this. This is so beautiful because now Jesus is just going above and beyond here. Her faith is what brought her to Jesus and allowed her to be healed, but she also needed to be healed in her whole being. She needed to feel secure and free, and Jesus pronounces shalom on her. He wants her to know his peace, right? And so Jesus is king over sickness. He's king over sickness. Now, I I can't, you know, tell you that every disease will be healed this side of glory. I don't understand all of how God's grace and his providence and healing works here. It's still a fallen world that we live in, and he tells us this is a fallen world. But I can say that Jesus knows all of our struggles, and I can say that Jesus will never leave your side. He will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? Amen. There is not a friend like our King Jesus. No, not one. Hallelujah. Uh, and, and I do know this. If the healing doesn't come now, he is already promised there's a, a day when the curse will be reversed. Amen. And that these corruptible bodies will put on incorruption. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye in an instant. Hallelujah. So whether it's now or later, we know that Jesus is more powerful than any sickness. He is king over sickness. Hallelujah. But Jesus isn't done yet. Because don't forget about Jairus, right? The father of the little girl who's sick. Uh, He's not going to leave Jairus hanging. I have to admit, if I'm putting myself in, in his in Jairus's shoes here, I, uh, this whole encounter between Jesus and the woman would make me feel a little anxious. I mean, I'd be happy for her, but I'd kind of be like, Jesus, let's get going. You know, there's, I got my little girl needs you really bad. So he's anxious to get to get going. And sure enough, right after this beautiful miracle, the message that he's been dreading reaches them. And in verse 35, it says, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? That just uh, must be absolutely devastating to this father to hear those words. But overhearing, it says what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Once again, fear versus faith, right beside each other. And Jesus gives Jairus kind of a really quick pep talk here. Don't be afraid, only believe. And friends, maybe that's the word for you two today. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, only believe. And when Jesus arrives at the home of Jairus, he finds the whole house crying over this little girl. And Jesus says, Ah, she's just sleeping. And they all laugh at Jesus, everybody in there. So he puts everybody out except for the parents and his, his inner circle of disciples. And he says to Jairus' daughter, he says, little girl, get up. Just like he said to the wind and the waves, be still. Just like he says to those, to those demons, he said, come out. And he tells the little girl, get up. And she gets up. She's alive. Jesus has done it. He's raised the little girl from the dead. He's proven he's more powerful than death itself. Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus is king. He's king. Now, friends, I know a lot of you are going through anxious times right now. And some of you, for some of you, the fear that you struggle with, uh, maybe it isn't a natural disaster or it's not demonic oppression. It might not be sickness or even death. But for you, it's just the current state of things. It's the political, economic, national, international affairs of the world. 
Maybe it's the outcome of the election next week or the one coming again in two years from now, right? We're going to go through all this again. Uh, I saw this uh, therapist on the internet the other day, and she was saying how anxiety levels right now are just going through the roof here in America, that people are freaking out. She said, I'm seeing clients who have never had this condition before. They're having panic attacks all of a sudden. They can't sleep very well. They're not eating well. They get rashes breaking out on their bodies. They're having anxiety disorders. And she said, it's all over politics. This epidemic of anxiety and fear and mistrust, which leads to animosity and rage, all those other unjesusy things. But it's human nature. See, when we put our hope in something that is threatened, we're going to get anxious. If you put your hope in something and it's threatened, you're going to get anxious. Of course you are. You're like built that way. That's the way your DNA. And folks, if that's you, then it's an indication that you have somewhat bought into the fear machine that this world runs on. Now, that doesn't make you evil, but it just means that you've drunk a little bit of the Kool-Aid, right? You're, you're breathing the toxic atmosphere and swallowing exactly what a lot of the media just wants to sell you, right? And it doesn't make you a bad person. But what it does prove to us is that there is a deceiver out there. There really is a deceiver out there who wants to steal your joy that deceiver wants to steal your peace, and yes, he wants to steal your allegiance. Remember what allegiance means? Faith, faithfulness. He wants to steal your allegiance, and when we're too preoccupied with how things are in the world, who's in charge, what team's winning, it means that we have transferred some of our allegiance from Jesus Christ to the system. And remember what we talked about last week, if you were here. We talked last week, this, the, that human king system, right? That's what we're still operating under, this human king system. It's founded on, it's rooted in a mistrust of God as ruler. It's a rejection of God as the one who takes care of you. And it reflects a, a, really a confusion about our role in the world, our purpose for even being here. And we have let our peace and our joy often be determined by selfish people who are not worth your peace and joy. They haven't done anything to deserve your peace and joy, right? We're talking about fickle, fallen, imperfect human beings, public figures who I have just like to remind everybody, they don't know you exist, but they do know they need your fear to stay in power right? Your fear keeps them in power, so they know they need that. And I have seen people just cut, they'll cut out their friends that they love. They'll cut out their church family over some kind of a manipulated loyalty to people they've never met, to, to self-declared saviors who don't know really how to save anything other than perpetuate the system that keeps them in power, right? And, and we, we, we cut out the, the people that love us the most and that we love the most uh, over arguments, over people that don't even know we're alive. It, it's a system that is fundamentally antichrist because it depends on your allegiance to man. It, it's completely dependent on that. So if your trust is in the system, of course you're going to have anxiety. How could you not? The whole machine runs on fear. 
the whole thing runs on fear. Everything you've been fed through the media is specifically designed to build up your fear, specifically designed to build up your hostility to the other side. Anytime you look at something and it gives you that extra little jolt of like self-righteous anger, uh, you know, at, the, at those other people, just know you just got manipulated. It just worked, right? They, they made a little bit more dollars on those clicks. It worked, right? Because it's very effective. It's very effective. And, and the funny thing is, if you turn on the other team's channel, uh, they're doing the same thing. Everybody's pushing the end of the world button, fear button, right? And, and who's the one left smiling in the end? Our enemy, Satan. He's the one. Who's the, he, because he is the prince of the air. He's the prince of the principalities and powers, and he's the one in charge of the whole depraved system. It's the devil who hates you. Now, I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, Isaiah 26. Isaiah is praying to the Lord, and he says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. That trust me, it means allegiance. Their allegiance is in you. Now, this is really interesting. Keep this in mind. Because we might think like Isaiah, he's just someone like hippie. He's out in the woods and he's like, you know, he's just having a good time camping out in the mountains and just like, oh, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is so good. I love his presence. I'm going to go skiing later. I'm just having a great time by the creek. Isaiah is writing this at a time when the empire of Assyria, these were bad dudes. They were about to attack tiny Israel. Assyria was the biggest empire that had ever been at that time. Assyria was the most vicious, ruthless, bloodthirsty nation on the planet. Again, if we didn't have kids in here, I'd love to give you some gory details about what the things they did. I won't. Just trust me. They invented crucifixion. These guys are really bad dudes. These are like the orcs of Mordor on the border. That, that kind of bad. These are bad, bad dudes. And Israel is facing this horrendous enemy, an existential threat. Like, not like, I'm not going to like the laws they pass. No, they're going to kill everybody. That's Assyria, right? They don't, and Israel doesn't have anything to match it militarily. And in the midst of all this, while everybody's freaking out, Isaiah gets this revelation. You can have perfect peace. You can have perfect peace. Your mind can be steadfast when your trust is in God who loves you and has called you for a purpose. You and I can have perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him, if our trust and our allegiance is in him, if he is our savior, if we have anointed nobody else as a savior but Jesus Christ, to the degree that your eyes, I'm telling you something that really can change your life. I mean, this is not just a feel-good pep talk. To the degree that your eyes are fixed and our trust and our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ, King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, whose reign will never end, right? Nobody's threatening Jesus. He's not worried that he might fall off the throne if, you know, the, turn, the tide turns against him culturally. He's good. To the degree that your eyes are fixed on him, you can have perfect peace regardless of what's going on around you. Regardless of what's going on around you. But to the degree that our attention is not on Jesus, that your trust and your hope is not fully on Jesus, your purpose and worth is not found in him, to that degree, you're going to have fear, right? You're just going to have fear. John 16, 33, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. 
Notice he doesn't say, I've said these things to you so that you guys can, can win, so you can beat your enemies. No, he said you can have peace. Because in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have already overcome the world. He's already overcome the world. Yeah. Jesus isn't going, oh, who's going to win next week? He's already overcome the world. So folks, we can have a peace that's beyond understanding because we're trusting in a God who has revealed himself through his son, Jesus, to be more powerful than anything human beings are typically afraid of, right? The forces of nature, Jesus is over that. He's king of that. The forces of the devil and his minions, the forces of sickness, even death itself, the forces of politics and media and cultural conflict, he's more powerful than any of these things. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of us. Amen? We don't need to bend the knee to, to fear. We don't need to bend the knee to any emperor or bend the knee to Caesar or his system. We just need to bend the knee to Jesus. Amen. Bend the knee to Jesus. He's the only one worthy of our allegiance. No one else has, has proven themselves worthy of it. Nobody else has died for us and then risen from the dead for you. Nobody's worthy of it. Amen? Oh, man. Do I have a second? Yeah, I want to just read real quickly. This is Psalms 46. This is just so beautiful. God is not on the screen. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. Come and see what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Oh, my goodness. I'm here to tell you guys, faith. Faith is always the right answer. Faith is always the right answer. You remember when you were a little kid in Sunday school, if you were in Sunday school and teacher called on you, what was usually the right answer was Jesus, right? Jesus is usually the right answer. Uh, you might have heard the little story. Uh, the Sunday school teacher uh, is teaching the kids, and she lifts up this uh, picture of an animal with a bushy tail and eating a little nut. And she asks the class, what is this? And the class is all kind of, everybody's being kind of quiet and looking at each other. And this one little boy says, well, it looks like a squirrel, but we're in Jesus. We're in church, so I'll say Jesus. <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus is always the right answer. When you're an adult, faith is the right answer. So if this week, if you're in home life and you're kind of drifting off while everybody's talking about stuff and they call on you, what do you think? Just wake up and you go, faith, and, right? <laughs> By faith. And if they're still looking at you a little strange, you just kind of add, with love, right? Because faith and love, pretty much those two things work together. In fact, the road from fear to faith is paved with love. The scriptures tell us that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Because fear means that somewhere along the way, you've misplaced your allegiance. Amen? So my final encouragement for you guys today is this. Let's spend more time focusing on how to love others instead of being afraid of them. And let's faithfully follow our fearless leader, Jesus, in the way of love. Amen? Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today, for who you are, Lord. I thank you that whatever we encounter in this life, Lord God, while it may cause us some anxiety for a moment, Lord,
I believe that you want to meet us there. You want to remind us that we're more powerful, that you're more powerful, Lord God, than, than all of this stuff that we face in Jesus' name. Help us, dear God, not to trust in governments or to trust in, in imperfect, fallible human beings, but to trust fully in you, to stand on Christ, that solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand, Lord. May we not be fearful of the wind and the waves or the forces of darkness that have to flee at the sound of your name, Lord, or of sickness or even death. Lord, I pray that you make this church a city on a hill, a countercultural light in this culture of fear and hate and anxiety. Help us to live in a way, Lord, that, that is just different. It's unique. It's set apart. May your will be done in us as it is in heaven. Thus, will we expand with every step we take the very borders of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, stand to your feet, guys, as our prayer partners are coming forward today. Kids, you did so great. Oh, let's give a big hand to all of our kids in here. Y'all are awesome. Thank you guys so much for those of you who can stay, stick around and help us move chairs out of the way. Uh, Amy, will, Amy Tice will direct us in where to move chairs and which chairs to move and all that kind of stuff. But I just want to say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. And may you choose faith over fear because Christ is king of all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Bye-bye. We'll see you tonight.